Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Merry Christmas! Man, I'm so pumped to see everybody here. One quick thing before we jump into this. First off, my name is Chris Plegenpole. I'm the lead pastor here at Wells Branch Community Church. And you got one of these little annoying info meeting things. And essentially what this is, we're going to have a meeting next uh, Sunday in between services. And it should be like a little like two-minute meeting, which goes, hey, we're going to add this addendum in there, which is just saying a bunch of blah 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 for our principles and practices so we don't have to pay $25,000 in taxes. That's essentially all that is. So just in case you're wondering, why did I get this random church family meeting thing? Uh, it's just to have, make an addendum to our principles and practices, which if we ever dissolve, which we never will, um, we, that we need to have that in there and we don't pay taxes. Hallelujah. Okay. So a uh, couple things. My name is Chris, as I said that before, but one of the things I love is uh, I would love for you to be involved with Pastor Plex's podcast. I'm Pastor Plex, if you didn't get that message. And uh, we have a podcast comes out every Tuesday. And the only way we, we can have this podcast be fun is if you text us at the number on the screen. And I'll keep that number at the screen at the bottom of the screen throughout uh, this morning. And I would love for you um, to be involved with that. Okay. So look forward to seeing you there. Now we are in the Advent season. Okay. So in case you hadn't followed us, uh, the first Sunday in Advent, does anybody remember the word for the first Sunday in Advent? Close, hope. And then whenever I do that, I blow it out. And then the second week was peace. It's like those candles, that you, fake candles at birthday parties. All right. And then last week was joy. And then this week is we're my liturgical people who do this. Love. All right, excellent. So uh, love. So God, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And so this week uh, we light the candle of love. And this is one of those things that as Christians, for those who believe that Jesus came, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died on a cross for our sin, rose from the dead, we remember that. We sort of consecrate our hearts and our minds toward God, kind of you know, filtering that through our heart. And so you've got uh, hope, peace, joy, love, and then this. If you guys know what Christmas actually means, does anybody know Christ Mass? So let's go back, old school Catholic people. Where you at? Yay! Um, so we'll be <laughs> we'll be lighting the Christ candle Christmas Eve on the land, and that's going to be very exciting for all of us to do. So I can't wait for you guys to be with us five o'clock on Christmas Eve, December twenty fourth at twenty six hundred one Brushy Creek Road. And so I want to take just a moment just to have our, our hearts and minds focus on the love of Jesus. Uh, for this week. God, we love you, and we are loved by you, and so we worship you in that, and just uh, reminding ourselves in an Advent season that you came to bring us your love, and that you will come again to bring your love from heaven, and to have it fully fulfilled on earth, and we thank you for that, Jesus, and everybody said, amen. All right, so we're, we're in Advent, okay? And so this is like we've been talking about. We, we're looking back towards Christ coming, and that's what this whole Advent season was about, is that Jesus came, God became 
flesh. And that is mind-blowing in and of itself. Uh, and, and so we've talked about that. Usually every Christmas season, we figure out some way to talk about the birth of Christ. And this year, we, we wanted to be sort of like, you know, unique and different and still preach through uh, the Bible. And so we're preaching through the whole book of Revelation. And we're in the advent of the king where Jesus comes because Advent means the coming. And so he is coming again uh, to rule on earth. And I wanted to do, and so we're going to be in this week, Revelation 21, next week, Revelation 22. And as we're going into this, I wanted us um, to have a quick review of the entire book of Revelation. You guys ready for this? I'm going to do the entire book of Revelation in less than five minutes. You guys ready? I need everyone braced for themselves. Someone get a timer on me. Okay, you guys ready? Here we go. All right, it all started with Jesus. He came, he died on the cross, buried a tomb, rose from the dead. And shortly thereafter that, on the timeline of the world, churches were planted. In fact, uh, there were several churches, seven churches uh, throughout Turkey, or back then, Galatia, to which John who was the apostle, wrote down a letter from Jesus that would be circulated throughout those churches and then eventually to the, cir- the churches of the rest of the world. That ha- happened rough. So this was about 33 AD, and this is like 90 AD-ish, okay? Then this is what we call the church age. The church age is the, the age of grace. You are currently in the church age. Welcome to the church age. And so therefore, what we're waiting for next thing to happen is for Jesus to rapture Christians. Boom! First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 says that we are going to be caught up in the air with Jesus. And that will begin what's going to be called the tribulation. And then there will be a scene in heaven, Revelation 4, throne room scene, worship. That's if you've ever been annoyed by churches that's saying, holy, 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 and they put a song on repeat. Well, guess what? That's how it is in heaven, so get over it. All right, and so that's Revelation 4, throne room scene. Then Revelation 5, there's a big question. Hey, hey, um, who's worthy to open up the, the scroll? And they look around, and there's the lamb, the lamb that is Jesus. And he says he is worthy, and he takes the scroll. And he opens up the first six seals of the scroll, to which you've got uh, the, the, the first white horse guy with a bow. That's the Antichrist who is taking over the world diplomatically. He has no arrow, but just a bow. And then you've got uh, the red horse, which is uh, he's representing wars and rumors of wars and all the things that allow the Antichrist to diplomatically make things more peaceful. And then you've got um, famine, which is the scales here. And he, like, people are going to be selling stuff it's kind of like a massive inflation. We wouldn't know anything about that. And then you've got death and hell coming with the fourth horseman, okay? And so that, those are the first four seals of the first six seals. And so they come out. And then all of a sudden, Revelation 7 is the final seal, which then takes us to the 12, or sorry, the seven trumpets that are blown. And this is different plagues. And you, we thought it was sort of bad with the four horsemen of the apocalypse, but it's coming. It's meteor showers. It's stuff getting destroyed, poison waters, all sorts of stuff coming bad. But also believers are protected from the wrath of God. And we see that because they get marked uh, by Jesus in Revelation 7. Okay. Then in Revelation 13, the, there's a sign in heaven, the dragon wants to devour the church. And so there's a symbol of a woman who is giving birth, and some people say that's Mary giving birth to Jesus, but more likely it's symbolic, so it's Israel giving birth 
to Jesus or the church, and the dragon is trying to destroy it, but he can't. Somehow the earth sort of protects uh, the boy, and he survives, and that's sort of what is going on, is the church will always be protected uh, throughout uh, the tribulation. Now, if you notice, the first three and a half years of the tribulation are bad, but you can still buy and sell goods and operate as normal people. But in the second half of the tribulation, it's called the Great Tribulation, where the beast, who is the Antichrist, takes over and he demands worship. In fact, the worship, you better take my mark on your forehead or on your wrist, like forehead if you're bold, wrist if you're more discreet, or sorry, wrist, hand if you're more discreet, and he will have his prophet. Uh, he looks like very, fairly, you know, nice little ram, nice little sheepy person, but he has great powerful words and is able to do great miraculous signs to continue taking over the globe. Now, during this time, they're gonna, they're, there will be, sorry, death. Uh, the, the Lord will send the, the death angel, the grim reaper, where you get the, literally the grim reapers of Revelation 14, great Halloween verse or chapter. And so he will be slaying a third of humans on the planet who do not have um, the mark of God on them. Now, Revelation 15 and 16 are the seven bowls of God's wrath poured out on the planet. Again, it's not the same as Revelation 8 through 12 with the, with the seven trumpets, but it's pretty harsh. It's pretty awful, and a lot of people will die, and a lot of people will experience the wrath of God. Then you've got Revelation 17, which is this great calling out to the prostitute who is wrecking shop on people's world, but the beast uses the prostitute, which is false religion. So whenever you follow another god, you're prostituting yourself uh, for, from what, who God has called. All throughout the Old Testament, whenever he really wanted to stick it to Israel, he's like, you are chasing after false gods. You are chasing after religious prostitution. And that's what that was. So Revelation 17, is, it's, the, the great, uh, it's the showing of the sign of the great prostitute and how uh, false religion is, is being used to dominate the world. And we can see that. And Revelation 18 is the city of the great prostitute, which is Babylon. And it burns because God judges Babylon. And you hear Babylon has fallen. Babylon has fallen. And so God's judgment comes down on the city of Babylon. I always refer to the city of Babylon. It's the city of the great false religion as Mecca would be to Islam, as Dallas-Fort Worth would be to Christianity. Same thing. Okay. So then uh, Revelation 19 I, this is where I kind of ran out of cool PowerPoint or like clip art, and so then I got stuck with piecing together Jesus with a sword in his mouth. Anyway, so Jesus comes back, and he is going to have a great battle. The beast and the prophet will line up all. It'll be like kind of a Braveheart moment. Everyone's lined up. Jesus is there with his horse, but instead of like a great battle, uh, Jesus has a sword in his mouth, which just means his words win. Like, bam, and they all, he cap, it goes, and there was a great, they were lined up for battle, and he captured the beast and the prophet, and they get put into the lake of fire. And then Jesus then reigns on earth. All the messianic prophecies are talking about Jesus reigning in what's called the millennium, okay? And then finally, after a thousand years of Jesus perfectly ruling on earth as it would be in heaven, uh, we're going to see Revelation 21, 22 is the great city of heaven is being re, or heaven and earth are being remade. There's a new heaven and a new earth coming down, and that is how Jesus will ultimately reign uh, in eternity. So that's uh, how'd I do? I was like three minutes. Or, stop judging me. All right, that was. 
All right, so that's it. That's Revelation in a seven-minute version. Okay, so here's what I want you to see is where I'm going with all this, is that we are just talking about love. Like, here comes Jesus' love. And that didn't seem like, I thought this is, this is not very Christmassy talk. But ultimately, the coming is to, if we were to be honest about whenever Jesus was born, and this is where it gets really awkward. Several years ago, uh, you know, when I was first a Christian, um, maybe it's like, man, 20 years ago now. Anyway, when I was first, it feels like yesterday, all right? When I was first Christian, I was at my family's, uh, my, my, uh, cousin's house, and, you know, th- that's when their kids were then, like, five and three and six and all that, and they go, hey, Chris, why don't you read a Christmas story since you're, like, the, you know, the, the Christian? I'm like, okay, and so I started reading from Matthew. Bad choice, okay? I was going to read the, the story about the Magi, but within the story, the Magi is what? Death and murder, and you're like, and I was like, my read, I was like, that's what it says, you know, and I was definitely not and my, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, what? I just read the Bible. All right. And the problem is, even in, ev- even in the, the basic Christmas story that we're all familiar with, the three wise men coming from the, the, the east, it's still engulfed in murder, secrecy, and coup attempts. Because that is the world that we live in. And so ultimately, I think what can happen is we can resist the love of Jesus. And let's just be real about this. I think there's a lot of trauma in our lives. If you were just to kind of talk about your life, right? If we, we've talked about this. Your life, specifically your life. You would say, Chris, I have a lot of trauma in my life based upon the way I grew up, based upon my family, based upon all of the stuff. And I, I got it too. I remember when, my, when I was like 13, 14, my dad packing up with no like excl- explanation. My mom wasn't there. Uh, he just packed up our entire garage put it into a U-Haul, and I was helping him put the stuff in there. And I'm like, what are you, where are you, what are you doing? And he's just like, oh, I got to go on a trip. And I'm like, this is a weird trip where you're taking every, it's like, it was like the Grinch stole Christmas, right? It's like, all right. And so then he packs up all the stuff and he drives away. And I remember watching the, the U-Haul go down the street going like, I don't even understand. He's going to Atlanta to live there, but why? They're, my parents aren't even divorced. I thought I was a normal kid. And I remember at at that point just feeling so, I guess you can't trust the people that are close to you. And so within me, if if if, if I'm just being honest, if you get close to me, there's always a sort of threat that I have to kind of work out is that one day you're going to let me down, uh, you know, break up with me or whatever, right? Like I still had that sort of fear innate to me and I have to overcome that. So if you ever feel like there's a little distance between me and Chris, because I have to overcome that sense. If I get too close to you, you're probably going to leave me anyway. Does anybody else know what I'm talking about? If people hurt you, you're like, no, you're done. I'm good. I'm moving on. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Like, I think there's this part in us that I think as a culture, we've gotten really good at this. And that's trauma. And so what happens, we can resist the love of Jesus when we live as a victim. And this is how you know you're a victim. When something happens to you, you go, well, you don't understand. I, and you go into your story, and you have a really sad story. And I've got a really sad story. We've all got sad stories. We were put our sad stories all together. We compare and be like, wow, we're a really sad lot. And everybody would feel sorry for themselves. But what happens when we live our life as a victim? Listen, I'm not saying you don't have trauma. I'm not saying that bad things didn't happen to you and that scarred your soul. What I am saying is that there's greater hope and we can't, when we resist that love, it's probably because we're saying, I am a perpetual victim and what Jesus did on the cross, eh, it probably works for everybody else. 
but it doesn't work for me. Okay, or um, how about this? Uh, we can risk the love of Jesus when we live as a hedonist, which is, it's like, listen, I got to make hev- my own heaven on earth. I'm going to go live the way I want to live, do whatever I want to do, because if God is out there somewhere, I mean, I'm sure he's busy. He's got things to do. He's probably not worried about me. And so therefore, I need to live the life that I'm called to live. I'm going to live it as best as I can and with as much gusto as I can. I eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die, or in the modern vernacular, YOLO. That's it. That's like how we live. And so that's where that comes from. And so we're like, I'm going to get the most out of life because this is it. Or how about this? When we live as a feudalist, and I think we, there's a lot of Christian feudalists here that like would never ever say that, but you constantly are living in worst case scenario. Like you're a prepper and listen to God bless you because we need to go to your house whenever there's no apocalypse. But what happens is you sort of live your life in the worst case scenario. And so you're kind of walking around as the Grinch or maybe Scrooge. And so you're not going to get too happy about Christmas because if you were to get too happy, then your expectation and reality cord would break and you'd be disappointed every single year because life is about being disappointed. So if you can eradicate that, you can live in a place where you don't have to deal with hope because really there is none. And that is the classic line of the feudalist. I don't need to worry about hope because there is none. I'm over that. Thank you very much. And so this morning, I want us to overcome these things. Because this is why Christmas is so powerful. Because victims, hedonists, and feudalists are overwhelmed by great love and great hope and great peace, and great joy. Which is why the candles mean something, symbolically to see them lit because they're a flame. And I want them to go from being a flame on the stage to a flame in your heart. That's where we're going this morning in Revelation chapter 21. You guys with me? All right, here we go. Revelation 21, let's pray and ask God to bless the reading of his word. Father, I thank you that you are in our midst and you are still uh, in control. And in spite of trauma, uh, in spite of a sense of I got to get mine because what else is there? In a place where hope can be so dim that we start giving up, God, I pray that you would speak through the darkness as you always do and light up souls this morning that we would see you so clearly as the God who is, and our hearts would be focused on your great glory and your great grace, and we just love you, Jesus. All for your glory we pray, and everybody said, amen. All right, here we go. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now, here's what's really cool about this. Um, Remember, there's creation, Genesis 1, And then there's recreation, Genesis 21 and 22, a new heaven, new earth, and you're seeing it sort of in the same way. So Genesis uh, chapter 1, 1, uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? So that's the beginning. And now here we're coming back to a new beginning. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. It's gone. This world will eventually be replaced. And the sea was no more, to which everyone is like, 
Well, that's weird. I like boats. No, no, no. This is what the sea represented was the great chaos of the world. In fact, the sea was created in Genesis 1.10. All right. So now you've got a, a, a world where there is no sea. There is no great chaos. There is no great unknown. Because isn't fear, right? Remember, the reason why fear comes in is there's stuff we don't understand. And once you understand it, things aren't so bad. That's why you fear things, because you don't know how it's going to go. And that's why you, you fear relationships, because you don't know how it's going to go. That's why guys never ask girls out, because they're afraid to get rejected, because they don't know how it's going to go. If they knew, she'd say yes. That's why you always ask her friend. You know how that goes. Anyway. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. This is huge. How, do, how are most cities made? Men build them up. This is different. God sends it down. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It's, it's sort of a thematic piece here of the city is built by God, not built by humans. Whenever you see a city, you're like, man, look at those architects, smarty, smart, smart. Man, those engineers. Okay. You know, the streets could have been. Okay. Sometimes we don't look at glorify that and like, man, have you seen the infrastructure around here? Somebody build me a road I don't sit in traffic on. All right. Sorry. This, at this point, this could be a perfect city. And I heard a loud voice from the, from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And isn't this what Christmas is all about? Emmanuel, God with us. He came to be with us. What happened in, the, in Genesis 3 in the garden is, becomes untrue. That the new heaven and new earth is his people being one with God, the way that it was supposed to be designed. But because of our sinful hearts, he has to make it right. And he will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Now, 21.4 becomes really powerful. Watch this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Sadness becomes untrue. No, every tear. All those times when you were looking down the road at a U-Haul, that becomes untrue. Uh, all those times where uh, the conversation took a weird direction, and it didn't go the way you thought it would go, and then all of a sudden there's hurt and sort of chaos, panic chaos. And you know, instead of all those times at Christmas where you had this expectation, and then the reality hit and it was all brokenness, then that becomes untrue. He he starts to make all the things that have caused you wound, the tear, every tear wiped away. Listen, to wipe away a tear, you have to get up really close to a person's face. You have to brush against their cheek. And there's an intimacy that happens that only God can do where he wipes away individual tears. This isn't, no, no, this is important because I feel like you're like, yeah, okay, I'm at church and that's sweet and that's nice. No, no, individual tears. He's with you. And I know that there's conflict and struggle within families, and Christmas only exacerbates that. He wipes away the tears. And death shall be no more. Death enters in the world in Genesis 3. Neither shall there be mourning 
nor crying, nor pain anymore. That's over. It's untrue. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said this, hey, write down, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water, of the water of life without payment. You don't have to pay for this water. Paid for, paid in full, no utilities. You live here on my dime. And the one who conquers, and I always, this seems like a weird thing because when you look at the, the battle, right, the battle was like all the saints, and it really was Jesus who conquered. They were just on his team. But, you know, you, whenever your team wins, like if you were on the Colts last night, you were thinking, wow, we beat the Patriots. That's a big deal. That was for you. <laughs> what happens is that when your team wins, you're, you win. When your team loses, you lose. But here it is, the one who conquers, you you receive. And what do you receive? We'll have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Now, this is huge. This doesn't mean like God's reproducing or reproductive, but he comes into this, and you've seen this. This is Jesus. This is really sort of weird because you're like, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Like, how does that work? Isn't he like my oldest brother? Yes, but he's also a father because he's flesh, and he inher- you, it's his inheritance. You're inheriting. He's the king, all that. You become his son. You become a son. The Alpha and the Omega says you're mine. And he rules perfectly, and you can respond perfectly. There's a time when this, all the bad things bad will become untrue because Jesus' love will reverse the curse. And everybody in the building needs that. And, and here's how I know that, that this is true of us, that we are desperate for the curse to be reversed because of all of us, the trauma we've experienced, whether it's you know big T trauma or little T trauma, we've all had trauma. And I think the reality is, is that it's because the trauma gets passed down. I know my dad, he didn't know how to be a dad. His dad died when he was two and his grandfather, who was a father figure in his life, died when he was 13. And so um, at the very you know important parts of his life, the very things that he learned to do was cut off people because those people died. And so emotionally, my dad never was able to say, here's how you be a man. Let me love you the way you're supposed to be loved. Let me show you what it is to be a man. Let me show you how it is to treat a woman. Let me show what it is how like, to go get a job. Let me show you how to, all the things that you're sort of like, what dads are supposed to do, he didn't know. And his sort of answer when he, to any situation is be in the moment, whatever the person in the moment in front of you wanted you to be, and you could be that. But what ultimately happens when you do that is you can't be all things, all people, all the time, everywhere, because eventually you let somebody down. And what his response to that was just cut him off. And so I inherited that. I learned that. But here's what's so beautiful. I remember being 13 or 14. I, was, I, I remember specifically where I was. I was walking home uh, from the bus stop. And I had some math stuff that I didn't fully understand. My dad was good at math. And I was, I, I was like, oh, I'm going to ask my dad about that. And then I remembered, oh, he's not there. And then I thought, 
Jesus, you're going to be my dad. I remember thinking that and saying that out loud. And I didn't really fully understand what that meant at the time, but now that I'm a father, I do. And now that my dad has passed away, I, I see all the complexities of being a dad, and I know he wanted the best for me. I know he wanted to do the right thing. He just didn't have any training. He didn't have, any, he didn't have, he didn't have anyone speaking truth into his life, and so he was just kind of barely hanging on, doing the best he could with what he had. But now that I um, have a father in heaven, can I just be honest with you? I, I'm now a person that leans into those awkward, like, voids where you're not really sure what to do. You're not really sure how to say it. You're just like, uh, this is weird, and this is going to be painful, but. <laughs> because what else do you do? Either the gospel is true, and he is my hope, and I do what the, what the Bible calls me to do, or I just join the Rotary Club of Christianity, and we just sort of show up, pay up, and shut up, and just kind of hope everything goes okay. And my heart for us is that we would lean into those awkward moments of the fear, of the pain, of the hurt, knowing that ultimately Jesus reverses the curse that made you be like the way you are, and he brings healing and hope. And so that, that's the part I, I need us all to get, because Jesus ultimately reverses that and, that. and one day I won't have to lean into it in an awkward, just clumsy way, but... I'll be able to see Jesus working in my life, real and true, because I will have be freed from the presence of sin. I'm freed, listen, I'm freed from the penalty of sin. Jesus died on the cross for me, rose from the dead. I have great freedom in that. I'm freed from the power of sin. Like, I don't have to go back to who I was. I am uh, free to overcome the power of sin, but ultimately the presence of sin will be eradicated and completely reversed where it has no effect on me. And that's the day we all look forward to. All right, now look at this. Verse 8 gets a little awkward, right? We're all like, oh, that's so cheery and hopeful. But th there's this, the other side of that coin. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, to which everyone's like, eh, there's only one or two in there that I really am. Because this is one where, I, where you look at this and I go, all right, all right. How many times do you have to murder someone to be a murderer? Like, is it just once, or is it like, you know, once you hit 10, then we kind of definitely put you a solid murderer. And, that, and that's what gets weird, because when you start doing, like, inevitably, if you break one part of the law, you're guilty of breaking the whole law, right? Because this is a tough one. Just ask any of my guilty. And the best part is, it's, it's not, they're not even trying. I'm like, I'm like, I'm inside your head. I can read your mind. You're lying to me right now. You ate chocolate, and they've got chocolate smeared all over your face. <laughs> Day, how do you know? Psychic. I'm kidding. I don't say that, but it is kind of fun to mess with them. All right, so what happens, right, is we're all liars. We're all liars. And listen, you've been hurt by a liar. You've been hurt by somebody who has been cowardly because they couldn't walk in faith. You've been hurt by somebody who was faithless, who couldn't trust that God was going to work it out, and they controlled the situation by trying to fix it with a bunch of emails and a bunch of, like, you don't understand, and they had to talk to everybody, had to talk to everybody, and then it made it ten times worse. Or you've been detestable where your sin was that dark and that evil and that sick, and you may not have murdered anybody yet, but you sure hated them in your heart. 
And Jesus was like, if you hate somebody in your heart, you hate a brother in your heart, you're guilty of murder. Sexually immoral, guilty. Sorcery, you're like, ah. If you've ever tried to use magic, okay, you ready? Here's it. Magic always works some of the time, and this is how it works. It's like, if I pull this lever, then this person will have to do this thing. If I do the five steps to be a better empowered person, and I trust in that as opposed to Jesus, that's sorcery, in case you're wondering. It's like whatever you say that's outside of Jesus to say, like, if I just do these things, right? Isn't that what magic is? If I put in the ingredients, and like, Macbeth, what's the ingredients again? Out, damn spot. All right, that's kind of what we're doing here. Pull the lever, do the things. It, we don't have witchcraft books. We have self-help books that say, if you do these five things, you're going to be on the right and narrow path, and it's going to work out perfectly for you, except for the part where you die. All right, so idolatry, that's where you say, my hope is in something other than Jesus. Well, my worship is um, of me. I want, uh, the reason why I do things is so that you're going to think I'm a little bit better. Like me. I want people to like me. And so what you do in the moment is what we all do in the moment is there's this tendency to present an image of yourself, the idol of yourself that you shall bow down before that never is wrong and is always holy and uplifted. And you even worship it. And the reason why you know it is you try so hard to keep that image going. That is idolatry. And, well, we are kind of lying. We're all liars. So there's this part where you read that, okay, got it, I'm I'm, I'm not that great. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire. To which you're like, isn't that a bit extreme? And sulfur, which is the second death. But this is the part that we don't understand. Jesus' love will serve justice. Uh, if you didn't know, I don't know if, if, you're, if you had your head in the sand for the past two years, there's been a lot of things about justice. And what, no matter where you fall, the political spectrum, you know something wasn't right. People get treated unfairly. Do you guys know that? Is, is that like, I mean, people get treated unfairly. What? And what happens, and what happens is we, when you get treated unfairly, you want to have like a reverse effect, so you kind of want to make it right. And then when you make it right, you end up making it what? Worse. Every time, everyone wants to make sure that justice is served, and then ultimately, it's a big war. That's what war is, wanting justice to be served. And so we're going to go, I know how to make justice work. My side will win out, and I'll just obliterate that side. Right now, it's a war of words. But here's what's so awesome about Jesus, because what he's saying here is that um, the way that you've been treated, the way that you've been hurt, the way that you've been victimized um, is that bad. It is that bad. So bad that Jesus had to die for them and you. And so that becomes, now listen, and then this is the part where it's like, someone's got to pay. Anytime there is sin, somebody pays. You already know this. Like, I mean, just go to simple something like if someone smashes your TV, okay? Somehow our TV out on the porch has not been smashed. That's been a like, m- miracle of God. So thank you, Jesus. Next week after that, someone come and smash it. But here's what happens. Either if someone smashes that TV outside, either A, we go with a TV that's smashed, and so the quality is a little bit lower, right? Or we go and buy a new one. 
Either way, we pay. Either way. But what Jesus does is he goes to the cross and he buys the new TV. He'll take care of that. He takes care of your sin. He takes care of their sin. He takes care of all sin for all people. And then here's the part that we're, our response. Our response is, Jesus, I don't think you understand how bad I was hurt. Jesus, I don't think you understand how bad I was treated. So I appreciate that, you know, you're trying to do your part, but that doesn't fully do it. I still need to take care of some of my own justice. And then when you say that, what you're saying is, I don't really understand God's justice. God's mercy and God's justice, two sides of the same coin, because he never lets justice go unmet. Because he went to the cross to die and took on hell. It wasn't just a physical death. That's one thing. Anybody can die for something they believe in. People do it all the time. But you can't take on the wrath of God in that death, and that's exactly what Jesus did. All right, keep going. Verse 9, then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, so he doesn't have any more bulls now. He's like, bulls are empty. Now, hey, come, I want to show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Now, here it is again. Like, remember, it's coming down. Remember, it wasn't built up. The city that comes down from God means the eternal state of unbelievable blessing is not an achievement of man, but it's a gift of God. It's not built up. It comes down. Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal, complete. You're going to see this clear thing coming up a bunch, like unbelievable authenticity, unbelievable transparency, nothing hidden. It had a great high wall with 12 gates. Now, why do you need a wall? Well, because it shows protection that you will always be safe. With 12 gates and at the 12 gate angels, on the, 12, on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. Now, if you're a person that sort of isn't a dispensationalist, which if you're like, what's a dispensationalist? Don't worry about it. Not a big deal. But I just want to show you that the sons of Israel still have their names on the city. God still has a plan for Israel, and whether that's the nation state of Israel that you get so angry at right now, or whether that is God's people, he still has a plan for Israel, all right? So this is why I'm a big fan of Israel, right here, because they're still in the end. All right. Twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. On the west, three gates. And all, and the wall of the city had twelve foundations. On them were the twelve names of the... 12 apostles of the Lamb. So you've got Old Testament represented by the 12 tribes of Israel, and then you've got Jesus' new 12s represented because they're the ones that spread the gospel to the nations. So you've got a sense of Israel, and then you've got uh, all the rest of Christians, the remnant preserved, along with all who were invited. Everybody comes to uh, this city by faith in Christ. But God's promise to Israel never fails. And that's important because we need to know that God's promises never fail. Did you guys know that? And the one who spoke with me 
had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. The city lies four square, which just means a square. Its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia, to which everyone's like, I don't have my converter out. What is that? Well, 12,000 stadia is like 2.25 million square miles. And this isn't the actual, this is like, if you're a Mormon, maybe, oh, there it is. That's Jackson City, Missouri. It's included. No, that's not how we're doing this. That's not, this is just shows the area roughly of uh, the the new city, 2.25 million square miles, 12,000 stadia, uh, just in case you're wondering, uh, roughly uh, a stadia is an eighth of a mile. And so here it is. This is how big the city is that descends from heaven. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement. It's about 216 feet high, uh, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper while the city uh, was pure gold, clear as glass. Twitch, you're like, can gold be clear as glass? If you get it um, down to like 0.05 millimeters, it's clear. Isn't that weird? Ask your local jeweler. All right. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a gate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth uh, chrysoprase, uh, the eleventh jacinth, the, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, hence the pearly gates. If you're ever wondering where in the world people got that, it's right here. Now, it's not like a gate that has pearls on it, but rather each of the gates are made of a single massive pearl. So where they had to get these oysters, I don't know. But like these are massive pearls, or at least the the people could just be really small, either one. Uh, Each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. Now watch. Jesus' love will bring heaven to earth. And isn't this what... I think most of us, we would say we're trying to, this is in fact a prayer in the Lord's, part of the Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And eventually when the new heaven and the new earth come down, this is it. Now what I think is interesting about this, this is a thing that's super huge. I, I, when I envision heaven, and maybe you have this problem too, I grew up on Bugs Bunny, okay? And anytime a cartoon character got smashed, what happened? He turned into a, an angel with a harp. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, that, that makes sense. When you die, you get angel wings and a harp. And then I remember being on an airplane, and I, I was six or seven, and I was looking out the window, and I was like, clouds. I wonder if I'll see God out there. And I kept looking. I was like, like, just, like, I'm waiting for, you know, Jesus to show up and go, hey, wait, I'll see you soon. You know, something like that. Um, and, I, and so kind of what happened for me is, like, nobody else ever taught me what heaven was like. So I was kind of like, you know, you get, a, you get a harp and you get a cloud and you hang out. And I guess it's pretty peaceful. But boring! Like, you're honestly, like, and that's why everyone's like, I don't want to go to heaven. I don't want a stupid harp. I'm going to go hang out with my friends and party. Which is, like, such a weird thing to say. But people say it all the time. Because their eight-year-old concept of heaven never graduated. 
And maybe that's true of you, and you think of heaven as the most boring place on the planet. In fact, most people's concept of heaven, let's just take Hinduism, for example. Um, Hinduism is like a, a complete nothingness. And I can't think of anything worse than a complete nothingness. I'm, I love being around people. I hate small talk, but I love being around people, okay? Uh, one of my favorite places, and this is, always irritates Adrian, but I love the airport. Like, okay, getting through security, okay, that's, that might be the closest thing to hell. But once you're through the security, right, there's this overwhelming peace that surpasses all our understanding, especially if I have like over an hour to wait. I just love it. I just love the people. I love the people watching. I love, every, I love going to pay way too much for, uh, um, you know, a muffin and coffee. I, I don't know, for some reason, that, that makes me feel joy. There's a sense of peace that comes from being on the other side of security. All right. And it, and, but, but it's all about the people. There's, there's activity. There is um, life, interest, people, opposed to, um, the, you know, a Hindu ideal of heaven would be the sea into which human life returns like a raindrop to the ocean. You actually mean nothing. You become the tear, as opposed to a person whom God cares about so intimately. All right, let's go to verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city. Now, the interesting, when you read four square, why is that important? The temple of, like Old Testament temple, was a square. So this city is a square, which, uh, in, uh, for I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. All right, which we got from Genesis 1.16. No need for a sun or moon, for the glory of God gives it its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Now, this is what's so weird. That means there's going to be kings, and leaders, and roles, and people. And the gates will never be shut by day. You won't be stuck. And there will be no night there. There's no darkness. There's no place to hide. Remember, everything's completely transparent. Everyone sees, talk about a glass house, but a glass house is great if everyone's perfect. And they'll bring into it the glory of the, and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus' love will light our forever. And this is why we have hope. When you think of things that are forever, there's a couple things I think. I think of uh, your Facebook scrolling is literally meant to go on for forever. Did you guys know that? Like, if you keep going, it will never stop. They'll keep putting stuff in there. It might do a couple repeats, but it will go on forever and ever because infinity scrolling is how they keep their ads going, all right? So that's one thing that kind of will go on forever. Uh, But eventually, even that will end. Uh, Or maybe The Simpsons. Like, I think they're at, like, season 32, right? Like, you would think about things that go on forever. Very few things make it. But it's, it's more than just like a long, enduring show. It's more like this. Uh, I remember Adrian and I and our wedding day and the excitement that that was and the wedding night and the honeymoon and the experience. Like, I don't want this ever to end. And it's like that forever. It's like, 
Remember that one time when you were killing at your job and you were like, yeah, it's like that feeling that goes forever. It's like when you were a kid and it was your first Christmas and you came down and there were presents. It's like that forever. Which makes, listen to me, I know that this Christmas for some of you is really hard. And it might be because of the trauma. And it might be because of you've just invested so much into living it all for right now and you've come up empty on something. Or it might be just because you just became it's all worthless. But there's hope for you if your name is written in the book of life. And so the question that I want us really to wrestle with this morning is, do you have Jesus' love? And the way that we celebrate this um, every week is by taking communion. So you'll find like a little uh, sweet wafer <laughs> and an awesome thing of juice around you. And one of the ways that we commemorate this is that by taking communion. And all this is is what Je- representing physically what Jesus did for us spiritually. So that we would have like a physical remembrance of, of what Christ did. So the night before Jesus was betrayed and made all this possible for us, he took bread and he broke it and then he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we're going to take this bread and remember what Jesus has done for us. That same night, Jesus took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we take the cup and remember our sins that were laid bare on that cross, connected to him for eternity. And he took them on and he washed them away. And so we drink remembering his blood that was shed for us. Now, my hope is that if you're not a Christian, that you would place your faith into Jesus. That you're the hope that, is, that we're talking about. Like this, this thing of Jesus' love, that you'd receive it. Because it's a, it's, a, it's a gift. It's, a, it's an offering to you. Saying like, take the gift! And for us who are Christians, it's, that's why we take communion. It's why we do that. It's why we experience that because we've received that gift and it's transformed our lives so fully. And I want everybody here to have hope for the future, to understand that there will be no victims in heaven, to have, to have your head wrapped around that there is great hedonistic joy in Jesus in heaven. It's going to be your best day. And there's great hope in that. But if you're not a Christian, what you're saying is like, Jesus, you're not enough. And I appreciate all that and the philosophical construct that you uh, make all things right. But I'm just not that bad. Or maybe you're not that good. But whatever it is, I'm not interested. And my heart for you is that you would put your guard down and receive the free gift of Jesus. He came, he died, he rose. He gives himself to you. And for those of you who are Christians, as we took that and we remember that 
my heart for you is that this Christmas you wouldn't forget. That when Christmas morning comes and there's angry eight-year-olds because you got them the wrong one. There's friction at the home because somebody brought the wrong thing. And somebody forgot to hug the way they were supposed to hug and didn't say the thing they were supposed to, or they brought up that thing that they shouldn't have brought up. You remember that your hope isn't in that moment. Your hope is in that one. Would you guys pray with me? Father, uh, we come to you as just people in need of a Savior. And Jesus, we trust you with our whole heart. We cry out to you as the king of the universe. And we know, Jesus, that life here isn't perfect, that there's a lot of things that have gone wrong, and there are a lot of people that have gotten away with it, but we know ultimately you bring justice, and ultimately you bring a lot of mercy, and we're all in need of it. So Lord, I'm praying for for the person that hasn't received you, that you'd pierce through the hardness of the heart they'd unfold their arms and just say "All right, take me as I am I'm broken, I believe Jesus that I'm a sinner I believe you died on the cross for me I believe you rose to the dead Holy Spirit come to my life make me the person you want me to be and God you would do it and they were, there's something would happen there'd be tears of joy and Jesus you would do something really really special as you continue to walk with them throughout the rest of their life. And God, I'm praying that for those of us who are in the rest of their lives, where there was a point at which they came to trust you as their Savior, now they're, they're walking out, and so Christmas still feels hard. And they, they haven't leaned into awkward situations because they were never really trained how, and they know that's in the Word of God, but I can't change. Lord, you would reveal that, the power of the Holy Spirit. And you will make all things new and what we do clumsily now will be perfected then and we joyfully walk with you even if we're needing to lean on you the whole way. We love you, Jesus. It's all for your glory, we pray. And everybody say I know um, I thought for some of you the Spirit of God is moving and there's something inside you that wanted to like, I'm going to go forward but felt weird because you didn't want to be like the person that went down everyone's looking at you I get that I get that and so I'm going to ask the prayer team to kind of hang out a little bit after this and if, if you want to go up to one of those guys or ladies and go hey here's my thing I would love for you to take that step of faith in your journey but imagine what would happen now just think about this if instead of looking at a this sort of like inside like the world is against me and I don't have a chance to realize that the world has done some really dark things, but Jesus won. Imagine thinking about like getting your joy out of this life and what a settling that is. That there's something far greater than you could ever imagine coming. And it's what we set our hope on. And imagine having hope beyond the momentary moments of pain where the hurt and the heartache shame and the struggle are overwhelming. It would be so transformative. It would call you to cry out, Jesus change me. I want it. And it would change the way you live. It would change your family. It would change this church. It would change that city. Would you receive the benediction? Go. Go.
Go and be a people. Move to the victory in Jesus, overcoming every part of darkness. Go and be a people. Find your joy and your hope in eternity, not in a Christmas morning. Go and be a people who are pushing back the darkness and have an awesome week of worship. You are.